This week, PetSmart sues Citibank. First Energy aims to shed coal supply and nuclear fuel contracts. American Tire loses Bridgestone business. More on this and, as always, updates from Puerto Rico and Venezuela. Welcome to the Week in Reorg. Hello, and welcome to the Reorg Research Weekly Podcast, where we bring you the latest top developments in the news of distressed debt and bankruptcies. I'm Stephen Hopper, reporting from Reorg's offices in New York City. This week, our Director of Research, Mark Fisher, sat down with editor of Reorg Ladam, Catherine Wiegert, and senior distressed debt analyst, Kyle Wusu to discuss credits, Barbados, QGOG Constellation, and Odebrecht Construction. It's Sunday, July 1st. PetSmart and parent Argos Holdings sued Citibank, the agent under PetSmart's term loan agreement in the Southern District of New York on Tuesday. In the complaint, PetSmart argues that the retailer's recent dividend of 20% of Chewy Equity to its parent, an investment of 16.5% in a newly formed unrestricted subsidiary, complied with the credit agreement, thus obligating Citi to execute and deliver documentation. The plaintiffs say that Citi withheld the documentation at the direction of an ad hoc group of lenders, who expressed alleged concerns that the Chewy transactions do not comply with the credit agreement. However, the complaint says that the lenders' concerns are, quote, baseless. PetSmart and Argos argue that the credit agreement permits PetSmart to make distributions and investments under certain baskets, and that those baskets, quote, permitted PetSmart to transfer far more of Chewy's equity than it did, end quote. The filing also points out that Houlihan Loki, PetSmart's financial advisor, concluded that, quote, PetSmart's corporate surplus exceeded the value of the distribution under Delaware law, and that after giving effect to the transactions, PetSmart would be solvent, end quote. According to PetSmart's valuation expert, Chewy had a midpoint value of $4.45 billion at the time of the transfer in June. At the midpoint, this valuation is $1.45 billion more than the amount PetSmart paid for Chewy approximately a year ago in May 2017, say the plaintiffs. The complaint states that Citibank is, quote, impeding PetSmart from realizing the full benefits, end quote, of the Chewy transactions and sets out a claim for breach of contract by Citibank and requests for declaratory judgment that Chewy transactions were permitted and complied with the terms of the credit agreement. Citi had informed PetSmart last week that it would resign as administrative agent. On Wednesday, the first energy debtors filed motions to reject a coal supply agreement as well as certain nuclear fuel contracts. The debtors maintain that rejecting the coal supply agreement reflects sound business judgment given the estimated savings of $20 million in 2018 and about $15 million in 2019, which can be achieved by purchasing coal at the current market rate. The debtors say that the nuclear fuel contracts, quote, are no longer a source of potential value for the debtors' future operations or for their creditors or other parties in interest, end quote, due to the above market pricing or the lack of continuing need for the underlying compounds or services. Rejection of the existing nuclear fuel contract and entering in a new one would allow the debtors to realize cost savings of about $60 million over the life of the new contract, according to the motion. Turning to American Tire, the TPG and Aries backed tire distributor, whose bonds dropped from above par levels to the 50s in April, after Goodyear said it would no longer sell through ATD, got another dose of bad news this week. Bridgestone declared that it too, like Goodyear, would take its business elsewhere, sending the bonds into the 20s. Goodyear and Bridgestone plan to form a 50-50 joint venture called Tire Hub to retail their tires. The venture plans to open for business next week. Bridgestone Brands, American Tire disclosed, represented approximately 11% of its unit sales in the U.S. in fiscal 2017, 
the company believes current inventory will allow it to sell Bridgestone tires through the end of the third quarter. Quote, we are disappointed by Bridgestone's decision to no longer use ATD as a distributor of their products in the United States, which we believe limits consumer choice, end quote, the company said in a statement provided to Reorg Research. Quote, ATD remains the nation's premier tire distributor, as well as the largest independent supplier of tires to the replacement tire market. Importantly, ATD continues to generate substantial cash flows, and as of May 30th, 2018, had approximately $300 million of liquidity, end quote. On the island of Puerto Rico, the Promiso Oversight Board canceled the public meeting set for Friday, June 29th, stating that this will allow for more time to complete required technical and macroeconomic changes to the Commonwealth Fiscal Plan with updated information, which in turn must be reflected in the Commonwealth's fiscal 2019 budget. It will also give the legislature additional time to approve and submit a fiscal 2019 budget to the Promisa Board before the Saturday deadline. On Friday, the board announced that it plans to recertify the fiscal plans for the Commonwealth and certain instrumentalities after the legislature's failure to repeal Law 80, which was a key component of the labor reform package in the fiscal plan. Also in Puerto Rico, the Permiso board issued a letter on Monday stating that the budget submitted by the Highway and Transportation Authority is, quote, not compliant, end quote, with HTA's fiscal plan, asserting that toll revenues are understated in the proposed budget relative to the HDA fiscal plan. On Tuesday, the board issued a similar letter to the University of Puerto Rico, stating that the university's budget submitted on June 4th is not compliant with the certified UPR fiscal plan. Separately, the Commonwealth announced on Tuesday that net revenue to the general fund totaled just over $900 million in May, beating estimates by $218 million and outpacing collections during the same month last year by $193 million. Treasury Secretary Raul Maldonado attributed the stronger-than-expected collections to economic activity associated with reconstruction work and insurance claims in the wake of the storms, as well as better compliance. Turning to Venezuela, on Monday, the Milstein Representative Creditor Committee issued a statement saying they will hold Venezuela and PDVSA responsible for, quote, all costs and expenses incurred in investigating all defaults in pursuing any and all remedies available, end quote. The committee said that it will not support a restructuring that does not provide for comparable recoveries for all similarly situated creditors. The committee noted that although Venezuela has failed to pay principal or interest since the end of 2017, during the same period, quote, certain creditors of Venezuela and PDVSA, whose claims rate equal to those of the bondholders, have received payments either as a result of voluntary action on the part of Venezuela or PDVSA, or as the result of legal action taken by these creditors, end quote. Earlier in the week, the European Council issued fresh sanctions targeting 11 members of the Venezuelan government and military, including Vice President Delcy Rodriguez, accused of human rights abuses and, quote, undermining democracy and the rule of law, end quote. The European Council passed a resolution last month saying that the re-election of President Nicolas Maduro in May was, quote, neither free nor fair, end quote. Maduro's government is expected to announce a new leadership team for Venezuela's armed forces in early July, in light of internal dissension and a failed coup attempt during the election. Other top red stories of the week were, one, Cedrio postmortem, Cedrio pro forma value driven by non-consolidated entity investments. Two, CBL and Associates properties, new coverage, 
Mall REIT CBL turns to non-apparel offerings to weather retailer distress. Number three, Savers new coverage. Savers posts LC to continue Canadian tax audit review amid refinancing talks with creditors. And now I'll pass it over to Jim Holloway for a preview of what's to come in the week ahead. Well, thank you, Stephen, and welcome listeners to a week attenuated, I guess you would say, by the birthday of this fair land of freedom, which is, of course, on Wednesday, July 4th, and which, among other benefits, resulted in the bankruptcy code, which was a vast improvement over the previous system of debtor's prison and immediate descent into Dickensian ruin and squalor. Anyways... What's happening this week? Monday, July 2nd, the Toys R Us debtors will seek conditional approval of their disclosure statement. I don't know about where y'all live, but here in Houston, local media has run a few poignant stories over the imminent shuttering of this American institution. On Tuesday, July 3rd, a hearing in Relativity Media regarding Winston and Strawn's request to be retained as debtors' counsel, and in Puerto Rico, independent investigator Cobri and Kim is expected to file a motion containing an exit plan that would address all remaining issues surrounding the discovery process related to its audit report on the Commonwealth's $70 billion debt. Wednesday, of course, is the holiday. Nothing in the schedule for Thursday, July 5th. And on July 6th, Friday, objections are due to Claire's disclosure statement at 4 p.m. and the early tender date for Windstream's exchange offer expires at 5 p.m. And that looks to be about it. Back to you, Stephen. Thanks, Jim. As always, we'll be on the lookout. I'm going to hand it off to Mark now, who is with Reorg's Latin America team to discuss a few credits in the process of restructuring or that are near restructuring. Thank you. So I'm here today with Catherine Wiegert, editor of Reorg Latin America. Catherine runs the LATAM team with offices in New York, London, and of course, Latin America. I'm also joined uh, today with, with, uh, by Kyle Owusu, senior distressed debt analyst. So the Latin, America, the Latin America team has been extremely busy lately. Uh, of course, Venezuela is always an ever-changing situation, but there have also been a number of new restructurings or near restructurings recently. Three of them, Barbados, QGOG Constellation, and Odebrecht Engineering and Construction, a subsidiary of Odebrecht SA, uh, are ones that we'll talk about today. So if we could jump right into it, um, Catherine. Uh, you've done a lot of work on Barbados. Uh, Barbados announced plans to restructure earlier this month. Uh, it seems that the move to restructure was prompted by an adjustment in the country's reserves and debt levels. Uh, reserves fell by almost a third to $220 million at the end of May, and debt to GDP almost doubled to 175%. Um, can you tell us, how did this happen? Sure. Well, Mark, the Barbados economy has, going, has been going through significant challenges for some years. The country has struggled with rollover risk due to commercial banks curtailing exposure to the economy. A lack of foreign a lack of foreign exchange borrowing, uh, and a decline in reserves, a significant dependence on the central bank for for financial support and foreign exchange risk. Additionally, uh, uh, when Mia Motley was voted into office in late May, her administration performed an in-depth review of Barbados' external liquidity position uh, as it took office. The government identified and quantified about $820 million in arrears that were not previously included in uh, public debt figures. That includes about $560 million in debt owed by the central government to the private sector and other parties, and $262 million owed by the public corporations to the private sector and various government entities, including a revenue authority and the national insurance scheme. 
Um, additionally, uh, Prime Minister Motley made the executive decision uh, when she was uh, when she was elected to initiate the restructuring to preserve liquidity and the currency pegged the dollar. Barbados has stopped making uh, payments only on the external commercial debt to limit uh, risk to the domestic financial system. And Mark, as you mentioned, the government today estimates that Barbados' total public debt represents about 175 percent of GDP compared to total reserves of only 220 million at the end of May. Wow. So, so with all the, the, the troubles, um, what role do you think, if any, uh, the IMF will play? Well, the IMF will definitely step in to provide an immediate stabilization package to help Barbados address medium-term economic issues. They had one mission in early June, and there will be another one in early July. Representatives of Barbados also met with IMF officials in Washington, D.C. So uh, from what we can see, it seems the negotiations between the IMF and Barbados are advancing in a timely manner. Um, In the meantime, the, the Motley administration is also quantifying budget requirements for the next three years that it will present to the IMF to develop an economic adjustment program. And as part of that process, we know that Barbados and the IMF will work together to determine the legitimacy of the arrears and create an offset uh, to identify and omit internal claims. And in addition to the IMF, um, is Barbados leaning on anyone else for support? Yes, absolutely. Um, when Prime Minister uh, Motley met with the IMF in Washington, D.C. this month, she also reconnected with officials at the Inter-American Development Bank to regain access to loans that were granted under the previous administration but never used. Barbados has actually one of the worst loan disbursement rates in the, West, in the Western Hemisphere at about 13 percent compared to 32 percent uh, for Jamaica. I wouldn't be surprised to see the government access new loans or existing loans to support near-term development projects. Um, uh, uh, Prime Minister Mia Motley has allocated about $100 million in emergency capital expenditure to improve sewage works, roads, trucks, and uh, public transportation and other general improvements. Great. So I, I guess things have been um, moving along. Uh, you know, I know last week the government released a presentation detailing the breakout of public debt and their ability to service that debt. Uh, from that presentation, what clues uh, can, can we take about what a potential restructuring could look like? Well, it's pretty early in the process, so the situation is still very, very fluid. That said, we know that Barbados is in active negotiations with bondholders, even as it works with the IMF to secure the stabilization package. A lot of investors are hoping to see a deal that is similar to what Jamaica had when it restructured, and that included an exchange at par with lower interest rates and an extension of maturities. Um, Barbados is a little bit different in the sense that there's still notable political risk. Uh, Mia Motley was just elected, and we're monitoring her commentary closely to gauge her policy positions with respect to the restructuring. It's it's definitely notable that Barbados bonds fell into the low 40s when the government ceased interest payments on the bonds, uh, largely because investors were caught by surprise by their announcement. Um, we'll have to see how aggressive Barbados will be with the negotiations. I think they'll try to get something that is permanent and sustainable. At least that's what they've indicated so far in public disclosures. And uh, the initial data provided by the government and uh, its advisors show that the restructuring will cover a number of securities, not just the bond debt. Uh, it, it, treasury bills and notes, debentures, uh, the bonds, commercial bank loans, uh, facility lease agreements, and officially supported export credits will all be addressed in the negotiations. And we can expect the talks to include 
onshore creditors and offshore creditors, the bondholders, the National Insurance Scheme, and the Central Bank of Barbados. Great. Thank you so much, Catherine. That, that was um, you know, really helpful, and we'll definitely keep an eye out on this um, ever-changing uh, situation. Um, now, uh, switching to something that's um, equally as volatile, but maybe a little bit more um, straightforward, um, QGOG uh, Constellation, uh, Kyle, is a name that um, that you uh, follow very closely. Um, service provider, uh, there is a, it's a service provider that's their primary customer, um, is Petrobras. Uh, they're uh, facing somewhat of a, a perfect storm, I would say, this year, as a number of contracts that they have with Petrobras are rolling off, and um, the company faces a number of uh, debt amortizations. Um, so, Kyle, if you could set up this situation uh, for us, um, you know, first understanding, um, you know, the business and the capital structure, how many contracts um, do they have that are expiring uh, this year, what that will do to cash flow, and, and how much debt do they have that matures this year? Yeah, sure, absolutely. So, um, you know, QGOG, uh, as you as you stated, is an offshore driller um, with with basically a lot of exposure uh, to Petrobras. Um, so you've got roughly 1.7 billion um, in in total debt, um, and the way to think about it, I think, is to sort of split it um, between the working capital debt that was provided by Bradesco, um, the project construction loan debt, so that is uh, debt that uh, is secured tranche by tranche by each by various rigs, and then um, there is a project bond uh, and a new secured note. Um, the new secured note is is mainly what is what is what is tradable, um, and as for the the rigs that are rolling off. Um, essentially, all of the rigs um, that the company operates will be rolling off this year, with the exception of the Olinda Star, which is working for ONGC India. Um, the company actually recently, this week, um, put out a, a put out cleansing documents um, explaining or, or, or forecasting, I should say, um, their their free cash flow. And you know, you can see um, based upon the projections exactly what they they think is going to that that what they think that those rigs rolling off of their contract is going to do. So, I mean, they call for unlevered free cash flow um, declining to just $9 million um, from $249 million. Um, the downside case actually calls for $29 million of cash burn before interest expenses. Um, and that's in the face of the working capital facilities, uh, so roughly $153 million coming due in July. Um, the Amarillina uh, construction loan that's 177 million that comes due in September 2018. Um, the Laguna Star drill ship drill ship construction loan roughly 187 million in November, um, and then the project bond roughly 88 million outstanding um, also coming due in July. So you know when you take into account the rigs rolling off um, the, and the maturities, uh, yes, as you described, I think it's it's definitely a perfect storm. Now. Um you know, it's definitely a pretty big drop uh, that 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 could happen there in terms of cash flows. Um, but I do know that Petrobras. You know, they've announced recently a number of um, new field starts. Uh, Tartaruga, Tartaruga Verde, and Campos uh, are a couple of um, new um, new prospects that they uh, they they had talked about. Our new field starts that they had talked about. So, you know, I guess first, if you could tell us what where does QGOG focus in terms of field development? Um, you know, how do these new starts do they help them at all? Um, and for contracts that are rolling off, if they um, they 
they do renew them, you know, what rates uh, should we expect them uh, to renew them out? Yeah, that's a good question. So, um, you know, in the last four years, uh, and this is based on the presentation that the company put out, um, the Alpha Star, the Lone Star, and the Atlantic Star um, seem to have focused on completion and work over work, whereas the Brava Star, Amaralina Star, Laguna, and Gold Star um, have focused more on, on drilling wells. Um, now it's interesting the sort of the the strategy um, the company is going to or, or plans says it's going to pursue I should say um, with regards to Petrobras on the one hand um, the company has noted that the Alpha Star Gold Star and Lone Star rigs are located uh, are being stacked right now at Angra dos Reis and Rio de Janeiro um, and QGOG says that. Uh, a few, only a few competitors are keeping their rigs located in Brazil, and so the company is pointing out that, look, because our rigs are located in Brazil, if we need to redeploy them, we can do it quickly and we can do it more cheaply, um, and so that puts us at a competitive advantage. Um, so that seems to suggest that they are um, going to continue to try to sort of uh, take advantage of uh, these new field starts at, at, um, in, in sort of the offshore offshore Brazil um, and continue to try and uh, bid for work uh, with Petrobras. On the other hand, um, the company has repeatedly said that it's going to look to diversify away from Petrobras. So it seems like sort of a mixed strategy here. Um, and by diversify away, it looks like the company is going to be focused on what the industry calls Calls the Golden Triangle, so that is Brazil, uh, West Africa, and the Gulf of Mexico. And the company has pointed out that uh, roughly 56% of contracted floaters um, are, are sort of working in that region. Um, and there's a pretty interesting chart in their presentation where they, they, they basically forecast going out to 2020 um, worldwide floater demand, and they show that um, sort of a significant portion of that demand is expected to be filled um, from the Golden Triangle. And, uh, you know, another thing to point out with with offshore Brazil, sort of turning back to that, um, is that in addition to Petrobras, it looks like um, because you've had um, these international oil companies being invited to bid in in, in pre-salt rounds, um, with the 15th bidding round occurring in April and raising a sort of a record-breaking $2.4 billion, um, you know, there's a lot of interest not only, there's a lot of interest from international players. Um, so, you know, in, in, in the next, call it five years, or it's, you know, five years or so, um, it looks like that area or that region is going to be opened up significantly. And so, um, you know, QGOG remain, it, it, it looks like QGOG, some of their rigs will remain in that area, and they'll, they'll probably look to, um, A, continue to work with Petrobras, B, maybe bid for projects that, that are being um, started by some of these international players, um, and then also, again, diversifying away and looking at projects in Africa and uh, the Gulf of Mexico. You know, one big problem in Brazil for a number of companies is the uh, the Lava Jato or the car wash um, scandal. Um, does QGOG have any direct ties to that? Yeah, so I would say, I mean, they the ties are somewhat indirect. Um, the the Carlos Galvao construction unit um, was definitely, um, allegedly, I should say, found to have been tied up in sort of kickbacks and bribes um, to Brazilian politicians. Um, and so as a result, um, QGOG, the offshore unit, was placed on a restricted list and not allowed to uh, bid for Petrobras projects. Um, so it's sort of direct and indirect in that, uh, you know, the, the it was the construction unit that was sort of found to be um, caught up in the Labo Jato scandal, 
but at the same time, QGOG was punished. Um, now, QGOG was placed uh, was was taken off the list um, in 2015. So right now, the company, as it stands, um, should be able to bid for projects. Okay, and um, you know, with everything going on um, this year, that perfect storm that we talked about, um, where are we in terms of negotiations? Uh, have there been any proposals uh, put forward to date? Yeah. So actually, there's there's three separate proposals um, on the table one of which uh, may have been um, submitted and then uh, sort of canceled. We're not entirely sure, but as it stands, as, as it was presented to us, um, there were three separate proposals, one from the company, one from the 2024 senior secured note holders, and one from the Amarillina Laguna and Brava Star lenders. Um, and the interesting thing, or one interesting thing I should say to note um, about those proposals is that the 2024 note holder term sheet includes a 100 million cash contribution from the sponsor. Now that 100 million figure is a placeholder, um, but uh, in return the sponsor would maintain its 80% stake, equity stake, but the remaining 20% of the pro forma co would be transferred um, to the 2024 bondholders. Um, Interestingly, under the company's proposal, the 2024 note holders would receive a third lien on the Brava Star, um, as well as a Perry Pursue first priority lien on any future unencumbered rig or rig owning entities. However, under the Amarillina uh, Laguna Brava Star proposal, there is no additional collateral being offered um, to the 2024 note holders. And that, that's interesting to note because the Brava Star um, is, is the newest rig um, in, in the fleet. And so you're seeing that, that it seems like the company, um, at least with regards to sort of the, the, the 2024s, um, is willing, it, it seems like the company is taking a uh, more friendly approach than, than the lenders are with regards to negotiating with the 2024s. Um, but it's really still, it's really still anyone's guess. So I think that the, what, what, what are still sort of question marks in terms of the three negotiations, or sorry, sorry the three plans and how this all plays out is one, um, whether or not the sponsor will be asked to, to put in more money and if so, how much and what will the sponsor get in return? Um, B, whether or not the, the, any plan will involve um, some form of equitization of the 2024 notes. And then C, um, to what extent will the 2024s uh, receive any additional collateral? Um, and uh, to what extent will lenders, um, the lenders being the Amarillina Laguna, um, yeah, the Amarillina Laguna and Brava Star lenders, to what extent will they um, seek to share in the existing 2024 collateral? Okay, so switching to another uh, situation that you follow closely, we had mentioned before uh, the Lava Jato uh, scandal, and uh, you know this company Odebrecht uh, is certainly one of the uh, the key um, uh, parties involved uh, there. So w one entity uh, within Odebrecht that you follow very closely, it's been active um, uh, recently, is Odebrecht Engineering and Construction. Uh, Construction. Um, it's recently uh, the the entity entered into grace periods on two of their bonds, uh, but later actually made the payments after uh, parent company Odebrecht received uh, a little over a seven hundred million dollar loan. Uh, so first, to get a lay of the land here, uh, Kyle, if you could um, 
explain to us the relationship between uh, Odebrecht uh, Engineering and Construction and um, parent company Odebrecht uh, SA um, and talk about the debt, uh, you know, to what extent is any of um, uh, Con- Odebrecht Construction's uh, debt guaranteed by uh, parent? Yeah, sure. So, so as you as you noted, um, Odebrecht SA is is the parent co, and uh, OEC, so Odebrecht Construction, um, is the is a wholly owned subsidiary. Um, ODB Finance Limited, um, so OFL, uh, is is the issuer of the debt, and the debt is guaranteed um, by OEC um, and an entity called Constructora Noberto Odebrecht or CNO. Uh, CNO. Um, owns roughly 41, 1.5% of a company called Odebrecht Servicios e Participaciones, um, and that company, through another wholly owned entity, owns Brasscam, and that's that's important um, because Brasscam is sort of the the crown jewel, so to speak, that 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 is reportedly uh, may be sold to Lionel Bissell to try and raise uh, raise proceeds and. You know, there's there's all sorts of questions as to whether or not those proceeds uh, will find their way up to um, the level where they can be used to sort of pay down debt. Great. So, so uh, you know, before turning to some of the other um, entities, in, including Brasscam, um, if we just focus on OEC uh, for now, you know, what is the company's cash position uh, currently? Um, are, 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 what are they burning? Uh, what, what sort of next uh, big payments um, do they have uh, that, that, that are upcoming? Uh, and um, you know, what has Odebrecht done actually to, to help fund um, this or extend the runway for, for construction so far? Yeah, so I will preface by noting that uh, information on Odebrecht is very hard to come by, um, but we do know based on the company's call that they had a, a roughly 500 million cash position as of April 2018, um, and based on conversations that we've had and what we've been able to piece together, um, you know, optimistically, their their cash burn is, is roughly 200 million uh, per, per quarter. Um, now, as you re- as you noted, uh, Odebrecht received a, a roughly 2.6 billion reais uh, loan um, and said it's going to downstream roughly 1.3 billion reais to to OEC. Um, Roughly 968 million reais, as 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 of the at, at the time of the most recent call, had been set down, um, and um, the the that most of that, or or probably yeah, most of that was probably used um, to retire uh, the the 2018 bond that that was outstanding at OFL, um, and so when you when you sort of take into account. Um, the cash that has been sent down, uh, the and the cash burn, and what was used to retire the 18 bond, um, it sort of becomes clear that that absent um, meaningful growth in the backlog um, or an additional cash contributions from the parent, um, the company is going to to to, to face a, a a a pretty strong liquidity crunch going forward. Okay, and. Um I, you know, let's switch now to the operations of the business itself. Um, you know, if you could talk about um, how contract wins have been going for them, uh, what sort of backlog they have, and um, you know, I guess the company, uh, you know, does as, 
states what their backlog or, or what they think their contract wins have been. But uh, you know, if you could talk to history of um, of of them actually being accurate in terms of what comes in uh, in in the future. Yeah, sure. So so you know, I think that the 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 big concern or one big concern I should say about the backlog is is the international backlog. Um, you know, roughly twenty five percent. Um, based on our, our conversations of that backlog is related to construction projects in Venezuela. Um, more than one project in Peru uh, has been canceled because of a fallout between Odebrecht and the Peruvian government over Lava Jato. Um, and so that, that, that sort of highlights the, the uh, fragility of the, of the international backlog. Um, you know, turning to the domestic backlog, um, recently, I should say roughly maybe a month or a month and a half ago, um, Odebrecht announced that OEC and Petro City Portos uh, signed an MOU to develop an engineer um, for the development engineering of the Sao Mateus uh, Port Center, um, and uh, which is in the north of Espirito Santo. Um, it's a 2.1 billion reais project that's expected to start um, in the first quarter of 2019 and finish in the second half of 2021. And so people, some people um, are, are, are somewhat optimistic on the ability of the company um, to, to, to win work in Brazil um, and have pointed out that the domestic backlog um, is actually okay and have said maybe you can restructure this around um, the domestic backlog. Um, you know, some of the, so the, I've heard arguments put forth that uh, notwithstanding the fact that Odebrecht uh, has, was tied up and, and has continued to be tied up in, in Lavo Jato, um, that uh, because the, the company is quite large and because um, sort of Lavo Jato has been, go- the, the investigation has been going on for a while, that people are, people are sort of inured to, 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 to the whole Lavo Jato scandal and that um, Odebrecht's, cl- Odebrecht's clients um, would still be willing to work with the company. Um, now, on the flip side, uh, the counter argument is that you know maybe that's a bit too cynical, and that nobody really wants to work for a tainted company, and it'll take time for um, the the reputation to heal. Um, and others others have pointed out that because of the the macro weakness um, in Brazil, um, some of those municipalities actually uh, may not be able to fund the projects, and that sort of takes you to the 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 question about predicting contract wins. I think that. You know, historically, the company. Um, I think the difficulty has been uh, the fact that that you know the company may, maybe you win maybe the company has won a contract, but either the project cannot get funded or the project gets pulled because of um, concerns about Lavo Jato. So I think that's all. That's that continues to be a risk, especially when you see um, you know yesterday or maybe the day before um, the Brazilian central bank came out with with lowered. Um, GDP estimates. So, you know, a, a, a cyclical company like Odebrecht sort of standing in the way or, or, or trying to sort of um, win contracts when, when the, co- the economy could be turning um, could present an additional risk. Lastly, you had mentioned, um, I want to talk about some other assets. You had mentioned Brascam before. Um, so how, uh, to the extent they do sell uh, to Liondell, uh, how would that potentially flow? Um, do we know yet um, how proceeds uh, would flow, if any, down to um, uh, down down to them? 
Yeah, so it's it's difficult. Um, you know, from what from what we've heard and from what we've pieced together, it looks like um, you know through through a series of transactions in the past, there have been various liens um, granted to debenture holders um, and various guarantees um, at the at the o, at the um, OSP level, so or Odebrecht Servicios Participasois, um, and so what we've heard is that. Um, if there are proceeds that come in from the brass chem sale, um, those proceeds may have to be used um, to pay down some of those bank lenders um, before they make their way up um, to the OEC level to, to presumably be dispersed to OFL to pay down the bonds. And so I think that like, like a lot of things with Odebrecht in this situation, um, it is a question mark. Um, but from what we've heard, um, you know, it's it's... It's fair to say that it's not a slam dunk for for bondholders to in in terms of being able to say okay if you sell Brasscam these these proceeds are definitely going to come up and and be used to pay down the bonds. Great, um, thank you, uh, Catherine, uh, Kyle. Thank you very much. Uh, this has been great. I think this is the first time we devoted an entire segment to um, you know just to Latin America, but certainly with all the activity uh, you know going on. Uh, we will uh, certainly be talking again. So I appreciate uh, your time. Stephen, back to you. That's all for this week. As a reminder, you can access all REARG Research podcasts on our media page. Or if you're not a subscriber, you can access them on iTunes and SoundCloud. I'm Stephen Opper, and this has been The Week in REARG. <laughs>